0: It's been said that neither healthcare providers or patients know much about a healthy diet. What are the hottest topics in nutrition at the moment and how can we communicate these best to our patients? You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special series focused on nutrition. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lusharz, and joining me today is Dr. Timothy Harlan or Dr. Gourmet. Dr. Harlan practices medicine daily in New Orleans and he's also currently the medical director at Tulane University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Harlan.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Okay, so what is the most interesting development in diet and nutrition research that's happened in the past year?
1: Wow, that's a great question. There's been so much exciting, I think, over the course of the last few years in diet and nutrition research. You know, back in the bad old days of the 90s where we didn't have great studies coming down the pike, people weren't putting a lot of money into this. We're seeing so much money going into this. I think in the last year, one of my favorites is the focus on red meat now. Is it actually red meat that's the problem, or is it processed red meat? There's a terrific serving that was actually funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, done out of Harvard. It was in last year's circulation a terrific article, and basically what they showed was that those folks who were eating one serving of red meat per day weren't really at that much of a greater risk of heart disease than those who ate less than one per week. What it really had to do with was the serving of processed meat, so bacon, uh, salami, hot dogs, that sort of thing, high sodium, uh, you know, chemicals in those processed foods, and that led to about a 42% increase in risk of heart disease, 19% higher risk of diabetes. You know, these types of studies that are coming down the pike now where we're really beginning to find out what really works and what really doesn't work.
0: Was there any data to show what proportion of types of meat the American public eat?
1: There really isn't that great epidemiologic research on that right now. You know, those are the types of large-scale studies that are being funded now and that up until, you know, five years ago, maybe seven years ago, we just weren't seeing the type of funding and the type of, of research that's going into this.
0: Is there anything ongoing following on from that particular study that's being funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or anybody else?
1: There are, there's some really good ongoing studies looking at these issues and trying to tease out a lot of the smaller components of Mediterranean-style diet, what really works best, what doesn't work. Egg studies, I think that's a, another a big area of focus. We're seeing a lot of studies that are now focusing on the macronutrients. And I think what we're seeing in those types of studies are that from the standpoint of weight loss, at least, it doesn't necessarily matter about fats, carbohydrates, protein. It's about calories for weight loss. But then when you look at the bigger picture, these types of studies are going to show us, well, that's all well and good from the standpoint of weight loss, but what's the best mix of macronutrients?
0: Now, Dr. Brian Wansick did an interesting study. What did his work tell us about portion size over the last 79 years?
1: I tell you, Dr. Wansink is one of my heroes. I think he's just a terrific, uh, he'd be a fantastic guest for you to have on. He's done a great book for the lay public called Mindless Eating. He's a a food psychologist, and he has a terrific lab at Cornell. They do all kinds of really fun research. He's the fellow in his group last year, maybe it was the year before, where they, they analyzed the amount of food in paintings of The Last Supper. And over the course of the last couple of centuries, there's been more and more and more food on the table. (laughs) And he did a study of the joy of cooking and looked at, went all the way back into the 1936 edition and compared it, came forward to the 2006 edition, and analyzed not just the portion sizes, which are clearly larger by about 60%, but interestingly, he also showed that in the joy of cooking that the average number of servings that a Particular recipe made increased by about one third. So, you know, we're seeing serving sizes increase and the number of servings that a recipe makes decrease, which makes sense. If a recipe used to make six servings and it now makes four, you're going to see an increase in portion size. But it absolutely mimics that increase in portion size that we see across the board, fast food restaurants, chain food restaurants, as well as our cookbooks.
0: So why has this happened?
1: Uh, we like to eat. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think humans like to eat and there's a whole host of anthropologic information about that. In times of abundance, we like to eat with a tremendous capacity to store calories.
0: What's the current evidence regarding what foods in your cupboard and how that relates to your weight? Well, there's a great
1: article in Appetite. This goes back actually to 2009, but it didn't get reported until late in the year. And they looked at mothers with kids that had at least one kid under the age of 12, and they just wanted to look and see what the quality of the foods were in the home. So, you know, everybody obviously keeps things in their cupboards, but what they showed is that the better quality the food was, the lower the body mass index of the household so when you you know folks had their carbohydrates in the forms of things like frozen potatoes tater tots french fries etc or vegetables that have lots of sauces that they actually tended to be more overweight and that makes sense and it does in some ways go back to the study about red meat that the better quality food, the less likely you are to be obese, and the healthier you'll be. So these are just really, I think in some ways, fun studies, but each of them taken individually, I don't think is that profound. But when you start taking all of this together, if you don't have it in your cupboard, you won't cook it, you won't eat it. If you have better quality food, you're going to be healthier. If you have cookbooks that have reasonable serving sizes in them, you're going to eat less. So I think that when you kind of take all of the diet and nutrition research that's coming down the pike now together as a body, we're really beginning to understand more and more of what we should be doing.
0: Do you ever question the people who fund these studies or the validity of the results of this research since it's such a popular topic? I do.
1: I always do. I think that's one of the nice things about our evidence-based medicine today is you can pretty much look. There's for the most part, full disclosure in articles about who's funding studies. A good example is the nut studies. You know, there's a, you know, pretty much every nut board out there, and, and I don't mean that like nut case board, but all of the nut and seed foundations, the walnut people, the pecans, peanuts, pistachios, they fund a whole host of studies on both nuts as well as nut oils, seeds, and seed oils. And you know, they all say that their nut is better than the next guy's, and they are funding these studies. So you do have to take them in context of who's funding the studies. I think that bias in our research is challenging right now. There's a couple of interesting places to look for that. One of them is a is a great website called Retraction Watch. I think that they do a pretty good job. It's retractionwatch.wordpress.com. They do a pretty good job at looking at authors who have submitted papers that have had to be retracted. and. Journals and what that process is for those journals that sometimes you know are retracted and still are on authors' CVs, et cetera. So I do think it's a challenge to make sure that we're looking at bias.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lucars, and joining me today is Dr. Gourmet, also known as Dr. Tim Harlan, for medical director at Tulane University School of Medicine. Dr. Harlan, we were just talking about studies done on nuts. There was one that you talked about uh, on your website. It was a review of seven countries, including over 580 men and women. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Again, I think in almost every one of these uh, meta-analyses, and that's a really great way to tease some of this out when we were talking earlier about bias, I think meta-analysis do help us tease out some of that bias by looking at the studies. And the Spanish are very interested in this topic. A lot of the nut studies that I see, especially pistachios, walnuts, a lot of the oils, seed oils, olive oil, et cetera, they do some really fantastic uh, research. But it was a group in Barcelona and Loma Linda, and they looked at 25 different studies. You know, just to see whether or not nuts had an effect on cholesterol. Very simple question when you look at these studies. And I think most of us realize now that nuts can have a pretty profound effect. It doesn't appear to matter as much the type of nut, but certainly those that are going to be higher in monounsaturated fats, the higher in omega-3 fats. And they looked at uh, about 25 studies, and they showed a – Reduction in total cholesterol as well as a reduction in LDL cholesterol, an improvement in the LDL to HDL ratio as well as an improvement in the cholesterol to HDL ratio. It's kind of interesting because sometimes I feel in my private practice – that I see a better improvement in HDL. And, you know, we talked about bias a minute ago. Mm. I do, with my patients who want to try and avoid medication, I do recommend that they have a small handful of walnuts in the afternoon, 20 walnuts in the afternoon, right about the time that we might give folks statins or niacin, et cetera. And so subjectively, I think I see a better improvement in HDL, but the data doesn't support that.
0: Now, another topic you talk about on your website is soda and the consumption of high-calorie drinks.
1: Well, it's both high and diet drinks, I think. The controversy, I believe, is certainly created by the soda manufacturers, and I can understand that. They have a job to do and a product to sell. But there is no doubt in my mind, I don't think there's really any doubt, that the data now, it's just very clear that you should not be drinking soda. It increases your risk Of almost everything. Diabetes, increased body mass index. There's a particular study, the the one I think that you're talking about, showed not only an increase in body mass index for those folks who drank as little as a 12-ounce serving per day, they were 20% more likely to develop metabolic syndrome, 26% more likely for type 2 diabetes. But there's a lot of very interesting work being done, both with sugar-sweetened beverages, like sodas, that Again, very clear-cut that this leads to obesity, leads to diabetes. And certainly, I think the link to heart disease is maybe not as strong, but as we know, you know, our diabetic patients, you know, diabetes is heart disease equivalent. So you do have to think that it leads to an increase of that. There's a couple of small studies that have come out in the last few years. I don't think any of these are definitive yet. One was an epidemiologic study out of San Antonio where they showed that folks who drank diet sodas had actually a little higher risk of obesity. Now, is that causal? I don't think we know that yet, that being obese, having a high body mass index, over 30, is caused by drinking diet soft drinks, artificially sweetened soft drinks. We'll see. I think that data is coming down the pike in the next three or four years.
0: Is there a lot of evidence or any research being done about the adverse effects of the chemicals used in sweeteners? There is not
1: a lot of research about it. You know, the Food and Drug Administration in America calls these GRAS generally recognized as safe. The studies for sucralose and aspartame and all of the other artificial sweeteners are, for the most part, done by the manufacturers. There's a host of internet speculation, if you will. People think that you know aspartame causes a buildup of formic acid, and you know there's all of this speculation. I don't think that that has great foundation in science. I'm uncomfortable about the amount of artificial sweeteners our population uses. So. Do I think that there's definitive research that says that aspartame is bad for us, that sucralose is bad for us? I don't think we have good evidence-based medicine that that's the case. But I am very hesitant about telling people to switch from regular soda to diet soda. I try and get them to move from regular soda to iced tea, regular soda to coffee. You know, a teaspoon of sugar has all of about... 16 calories in it. A 12-ounce can of soda has about nine teaspoons of sugar in it. And so you can sweeten a cup of coffee with not a whole lot of sugar and I think be far healthier than you would ever be by drinking a diet soda. There's more antioxidants in coffee and tea than almost anything else we can consume. So there's very good evidence that coffee and tea are really good for us possibly, they appear to prevent diabetes, they don't cause high blood pressure as some people believe, they do not cause an increased risk of dysrhythmia, I think all of that's been disproven. So I try and get my folks to move from soda to water, coffee or tea.
0: All right, well thanks very much for joining us today Dr. Harlan, we could go on but we've run out of time. Excellent, I really appreciate you having me. It's been really interesting, you've been listening to a special series on ReachMD XM 160 Focus on Nutrition. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lusharz, and we've been talking with Dr. Tim Harlan, who's Medical Director at Tulane University School of Medicine, and he's also known as Dr. Gourmet. And
1: patients can find more information at drgourmet.com.
0: We welcome your questions and comments at www.reachmd.com, and we thank you for joining us.